Breath gives us life. But when is the last time you actually took the time to focus on how you're breathing? In today's episode, I speak with yoga teacher and honestly, one of my favorite people on planet Earth, Kalia Anderson, as she dives into the importance of breath and not just from a physiological standpoint, although she does talk about that, but on an emotional and spiritual level. Now, I will tell you that today's episode is chock full of scripture. We talk about God a lot, the Holy Spirit. And so if that is not something you're comfortable with, then I still encourage you to listen to the episode because there are a ton of amazing takeaways from it. But go into it knowing that both Kalia and I are Christians. We love Jesus. And we definitely talk about some of those things throughout today's episode. I believe that you are going to learn so much on so many different levels. Honestly, this interview brought me to tears a couple of times because of how real and how raw things got, but also because of the truth and hope that Kalia spoke during the interview and continues to speak into my life. She is one of those people where every time I am around her, I leave a better person than I was before. I'm so excited for you to listen to the interview that I had today with Kalia Anderson. Hey, my name is Kimberly Beam Holmes, and this is It Starts With Attraction, where we discuss how to become the most attractive that you can be physically, intellectually, emotionally, and spiritually, or as us insiders call it, the pies. You can become more attractive to others and most importantly, to yourself. We will teach you how. Let's dive in. So one of the first things when we went through yoga teacher training, I mean, it was, if not the first module, it was one of the first two or three modules where we, you really taught us about breath and why it's so important in life, but in yoga, but in life as well. So why, why, why is breath one of the first things you want us to be aware of as yoga teachers, but then just as humans? From the context of yoga, I would say early in my training, I heard from one of my teachers say, if breath is not present, it's not yoga. It's just calisthenics. It's just exercise. Like the breath is what makes it yoga. The breath is the connection, right? And if you go all the way back to Genesis chapter two, so we go to the beginning, God breathed his breath into our nostrils when he created us as human beings. So in our very nature, Breath is everything. It's who we are. Breath is life, right? Breath is um, breathed into us. And so what what ultimately yoga is, is this yoking, this union of breath and movement. Um, and we even do that in the physical postures, like inhale, extend your arms, exhale, forward, fold. Like the breath is connecting everything. And so it all goes back to the breath. Life itself goes back to breath, and then the the movement in yoga is is surrounding the breath. So it's so important from the very beginning when I'm teaching yoga teachers. Um, but then we also know as simple as when we get stressed or you know anxious or afraid, like our breath gets short and choppy. It becomes throaty. It becomes um, sometimes audible, right? 
And it's the first thing I think that changes in the face of anxiety or stress is just sometimes stopping and saying, am I breathing? And we say the same thing in yoga. Like, am I striving to get into this posture and am I rigidly forcing my body into this shape, but I'm holding my breath to do that. Eventually for it's silly, but eventually I'm going to fall over. Eventually I'm going to not be able to hold this posture. And so in life, if I'm not aware of my breath and noticing, is it baited? Is it short? Is it choppy? Is it controlled? Is it forced? Is it pressed or is it fluid? You know, just that's going to tell me a lot about where I am, where my heart is. Am I striving? Am I seeking? Am I listening? Am I discerning? All of those different pieces. And some of those are spiritual things. Some of those are just relational in, in, in difficult relationships. Some of that is just deeply personal. Um, and then some of that's physical in my body. How do you get into that practice though? Because 100% when you said, when I feel my breath starting to get choppy or more shallow, you know, over the past several months, and I think it's because of what I've learned from you, but over the past several months, I would be aware, even just on my morning walks, I'm like, I'm not getting deep breaths. Like I'm not breathing deeply. And I would notice that more just throughout my day. But how do you get into the ability to notice that? Don't you think most people don't? Yes, I think most people don't. And I believe like everything, it's a practice. Okay. So we say yoga, it's um, my yoga practice, my practice. So I believe really everything is a practice. Um, And so being mindful of asking myself, how am I breathing? Um, I, I've gone through different seasons of burnout and come back into my office. One's coming to mind particularly um, that I remember calling my husband my first day back really into full work after a season of what just was described to me as spiritual burnout. Let's take a break. Let's take a sabbatical. And I remember coming back and I called Mitch. I'd been in the office maybe an hour and I called Mitch and said, I can't breathe. I can't breathe. I, I, you know, and you could hear the anxiousness even in my voice. And, uh, he was like, okay, let's breathe. <laughs> and it sounds so simple, but I had had this practice of yoga. I had had yoga teachers and and myself focus on the breath so much so that I was mindfully aware. I think the average person, if they don't have that practice, doesn't know. Um, I'm going to offer some simple tools, a sticky note that says breathe beside your computer. So when you're working and you begin to, you know, your eyes wander and you see that you, you bring some awareness to what's in your visual, and then you stop and you notice, am I breathing? How am I breathing? Am I breathing labored? Am I, you know, and just sitting back, you know, like you, you heard, we've all heard at some point when you're angry, like stop and take 10 breaths before you speak, right? Take a breath before you speak or take a breath before you react. So that's an old thing, but that that's even a yoga thing too. It, it really is. It is, it is a practice it's a hard practice, which is so strange because it's breathing. We do it automatically. Mm-hmm. So what changes? Like, how are we supposed to breathe? What does, a, what does a good breath look like? Yeah. 
Well, a good breath is not forced um, or controlled, right? But perhaps we practice some breathing techniques to bring us aware. So within the the science of yoga, there is um, a lot of practices. There is a Ujjayi breath. There's counted breath. There's restricted breath. There's um, calming breath. There's all these different practices. So when we begin to practice those, we begin to notice what a good breath is like, though, is we feel the... um, the exact opposite of many times what we think. We feel the chest lift. Actually, a good breath, the diaphragm presses down and the belly lifts. And then we exhale, the belly comes back and the chest lifts. So many of us um, have what I call backwards breathing, right? Chest lift, chest comes down. Chest lift, chest comes down. This can even come all the way back to, if we think from the, um, just the cultural view of hold your stomach in. Pull your belly button in, you know, if if anyone ever laid down on their bed to zip up their pants, because we want, you know, there's this cultural mindset. If we want, we would never want the belly to inflate. We want the belly to be firm and flat and culturally what, what the world says is beautiful. It's the opposite. A good breath, that belly fills up with air. The diaphragm presses down. If you can think about sometimes maybe like think about a parachute, like it closes down and presses down into the belly space and the belly fills up. And then as I exhale, that that diaphragm, that air lifts and comes back out. Um, and there are certain practices that teach us a lot about breath, nose breathing only. So not pressing the lips together, but keeping the lips closed and letting the air pass through the nostrils and back out. Um, but then when we begin to practice the breath, even if you take five minutes to do counted breath, like inhale four to five counts, exhale four to five counts, or purposely manipulating my breath will just teach me and give me the awareness of, of breathing. Um, so those can be practices that are yogic while you're sitting at your computer or sitting in your car, like you don't have to be on a yoga mat to practice those things. Retaining breath, taking the breath in and holding it on purpose, visually taking the breath to a certain part of your body. Let's say you have um, back pain, lower back pain. So, you know, this invitational thing of just close your eyes. My pain is real. I feel that sensation. And then I'm going to take a breath in, And I'm going to imagine that breath travels into the space where I feel pain and allow that breath to uh, saturate, uh, allow that breath to, you know, engulf that pain and then take the breath back up through the nostrils and out of the body. So it can be um, the response to a particular part of our body, right? There's a reason in childbirth that there's a, you know, breathing, there's the Lamaze classes that it's calming to the mind. It focuses the mind. So focused breath on particular parts of the body. I have a new friend that just recently introduced me to this thought that she has about um, her breath getting trapped. And she says she has what she calls trapped breath. Like it just won't go any deeper um, because of fears, because of 
woundings. And um, if I had to weigh in on that, I would think most of us have our breath trapped in the throat or the upper chest. Um, and I wonder what that says about like finding our voice, you know, like wanting to be um, heard and understood and um, in a world where everyone has a voice and a social media media platform to put it out there, you know? And so we were, we were recently talking about the breath feeling trapped, but I've also begun to think about if you have an injury in your body, like let's say a shoulder injury, like is the breath cut off from an injured area because there's um, inflammation because there's fear of hurting it more. So, so I'm withdrawing and I'm, I'm almost trapping the breath away from that space. And we know that in the breath is oxygen and for a muscle or a ligament or a tendon to heal, it requires oxygen. So what would it look like to go, you know, I have a shoulder injury. I'm going to close my eyes for five seconds and I'm going to take my breath to that pain. It's fascinating, right? It really is because our breath it's, it, it, it's something like we said earlier that we do automatically, but it starts so many processes in our body, right? And we don't think, I, don't, I didn't even know. Out of all my college and high school and everything, until my yoga teacher training, I was not aware of everything the breath really did for, for our bodies. Right. What do you think comes first? Is it like, so the, the girl who's like, my breath is trapped. trapped. Mm-hmm. Do you think it is that she learns to breathe differently or that she overcomes the feelings of being trapped? I think it could go both ways, Kimberly, because I think when you begin to deal with the wounding that causes you to feel trapped, the hurt that has caused you to feel trapped, when you begin to face that, and you begin to work through healing that, then the breath is going to change, right? There's going to be less fear. So we know what a fear breath feels like and sounds like. So when there is healing, even the word healing makes me go just like take a relaxing breath, like, ah, this healing balm. So, so I think, I think it could go both ways because certainly if she's, or we, Um, I could describe the same thing. Any of us are finding healing in a wounded area and a a place that we feel stuck or trapped. The breath's going to start to follow the healing. I also think could go the other way because I'm just stuck here and I can't get past this thing. Like, Like a conversation I had 10 years ago still comes up and I feel shame or I feel anger. Like, is this person ever going to say they did anything wrong? Like that sort of like, I'm just trapped here and relationally. If I begin to, my, my feelings aren't changing, right? But the fact is, if I say I'm going to pause and just focus on my breath and I begin to slow down the labored breath and untrap the breath and take it deeper, the feelings often follow. Mm -hmm. Because sometimes the fact is this, but I feel this way. Mm -hmm. If I tell myself enough, 
then the feelings eventually catch up with the fact. So in the in this in the realm of anxiety, like I'm sitting here at my kitchen table, right? And let's say I think I'm going to die. I'm, I'm going to die. If I begin to tell myself like I'm dying, I'm dying. Like eventually, like I'm starting to like the pitch of my voice is going up, and my labor's getting my breath is getting labored, my breath is getting you know more shallow and. And, and I feel like I'm going to die. The fact is I'm not dying. I'm sitting at my kitchen table. I'm fine. The fact is you're not dying, but you keep telling yourself and there's this feeling there. I'm going to die. I'm going to die. Okay, stop. Let's take a deep breath. Well, but I'm still feeling like I'm going to die, but I just slowed my breath down, right? So I just, even when I slow my breath down, the tone of my voice starts to slow down. My breathing is slowing down. My blood pressure is slowing down. And I might still have that fleeting feeling thought, I'm going to die. But I physically started to slow things down. And you can almost feel like the power is drained from that statement. So I took some of the power back by controlling my breath. It's like, I think it could go both ways, really. Watching you do that makes me feel calmer. <laughs> I'm just watching you breathe and talk. And I'm like, I feel this rush of relaxation, which, which is interesting too, because even in yoga, when you hear the other people breathing, it reminds you to breathe. And there's this, you know, communal aspect to it. Mm-hmm. We're in this together, right? I remember back when I was in high school, my youth group went to Colorado and did this thing called Adventure Trek, and we climbed a mountain. And when we were getting close to the summit of it, there was a girl in my group who started hyperventilating. Mm -hmm. And I remember what they did is the guide went to her, hugged her, brought her in, and breathed with her. Right. Breathed on her, like (laughs) holding her until she would match his breath. It's fascinating. So, um, and you just spurred a thought in my mind. So I have a friend, um, I mean, her son is like 25 now, but I, I had two girls, I had two sisters, and then I had this little boy and I did not know what to do with him. He was so much energy all the time. It was just like, he was moving and there was this like angst in him all the time, you know, power Rangers and all these things. And he was very little, like three. And she said that, um, Christian was the same way. And she said, he would just have these temper tantrums and I didn't know what to do with him. And I would talk and it was like, it just no words that I said helped at all. And he was biting and I didn't know what to do. And she said, one day I looked at him and I thought, I'm just going to wrap my arms arms around him. Like, I'm just going to tackle him and I'm going to pull him close and I'm going to make him stop flailing in this temper tantrum. I mean, and be careful because you can get clocked. Right. And she I just started taking deep breaths and eventually he quit fighting me and he just laid there and then he just cried. But she said, I held him and it, cause he was so frustrated. Um, and all I, she said, all I did was hold him and breathe. And it's like a, he broke in, in, in the breath that she brought around him. He surrendered. So so much power in it. And, I tend to think, so I'm a words person and I tend to think I'm supposed to talk to everything. I'm supposed to speak to everything. I'm supposed to have the answers, particularly in my parenting. And I'm working on and learning, particularly now because I have an adult child. 
um, that she doesn't really want to hear from me. So I'm taking deep breaths in taming my tongue and <laughs> choosing my words wisely. So it's helping even in that area, my parenting. Mm-hmm. One of the things you said earlier, which really caught my attention was going back to the practice of yoga, but I guess it could be any physical activity, but in thinking specifically of yoga, if you're striving for the pose and notice that you're not breathing, then you didn't finish this sentence, but the, the finishing thought is don't, well, what is the finishing thought? If you're striving too much that you've lost your breath, what are you supposed to do? Stop striving? Mm. Well, the question is, or what comes to mind for me is you're disconnected. Without breath, you're not connected to life. And so we were created to live in connection. We were created like humans are, are they begin in the womb connected to another human, right? So we were from the very conception created for connection. We're connected through an umbilical cord, right? So there's connection and uh, life is coming through that. And then that, uh, that first breath at birth, that umbilical cord is cut and the child takes what their first breath. So that is life right there. So if we're striving in our posture or in whatever we're doing, we're striving in our um, whatever physical activity and the breath is cut off or being cut off, we're cutting off life. We're cutting off connection. And you can only do that so long. You fall over. You know, in, in yoga, the, eventually the person has to take a child's pose. They have to come down on their knees. And we often say, catch back up with your breath or let your breath and your body catch up to one another. When so that, that high physical practice, if someone's doing a power practice in yoga, or let's just say someone's out running, like you can only run so long until the breath gets cut off and you have to stop and walk, right? Take a deep breath. So it's actually cutting off life right? Genesis one chapter 30, I I pulled it open. It says, um, and to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the air and all the creatures that move on the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it. So the, from the very conception, the breath was life. And if we're striving and it's cutting off, we're cutting off life. How do you think that looks when people are striving in their life? at work, at trying to be the perfect parent, at trying to be the perfect spouse. Messy. (laughs) And I'm going to very vulnerably say it looks like me some days, right? We all strive. We all want, we all have a deep want to do it right, to do it well. Um, So what that looks like is stress, what that looks like is a lot of what our world looks like or has looked like. Um, what that looks like is anxiety. What that looks like is snapping at my kids. What that looks like is raising my voice. What that looks like is um, go, 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 stay on the schedule. What that looks like in the workplace is, you know, irritability coming out. Um, just a lack of awareness of, of other people and where they are because I'm so focused in striving for what I'm doing for my job or myself or my children or my family. So I think it looks like stress. I think it looks like anxiety. I think it looks like um, selfishness at times. 
um, I think it looks like our flesh, right? I think it looks like our flesh. But here's the other neat tie-in, Kimberly, is the same word for breath is the word that can be translated the word spirit, mm-hmm. the Holy Spirit, right? And so Ezekiel 37 is coming to mind. I have a note here. You know, he uh, he made breath enter us and we came to life. Acts 2.38, when we received the gift of the Holy Spirit, that's the breath of God. And so um, when we begin to explore what it looks like to lead or let the Holy Spirit lead us and guide us, the Holy Spirit is not anxious or stressed or forcing, right? So the Holy Spirit is the manifestation of Jesus and Jesus. But what does he say? He He never we don't see him knock down doors. We don't see him. Um, we don't even see him many times engaging. You know, he, he would ask questions and let people have their space. Um, there, there's a calming nature. We don't get the sense that Jesus was forcing himself on anyone, um, nor is the Holy Spirit. Every time, every time, Clea, I'm with you. I'm always like, she just bringing these truth bombs and changing my life. And I, you know, I, 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 I really want to say, Kimberly, it's because I, I, I always say like, it's not that I know all these truth bombs. It's that I, I truly live it. I, mm-hmm. truly, you know, before this podcast begins, scream at my kids, everybody be quiet. Like not taking, like taking a very, you know, shallow breath and, and go, Oh, that wasn't very spirit filled. <laughs> right. So take a deep breath. Um, I, I mean, I really live these things. I really do. And, um, one day at a time. <laughs> yeah. But that is what makes you so powerful at what you do, that you have lived it, but that you are, you're not just staying there. You're not just saying this is I can't change it. This is just my personality. This is just how I'm wired. It's a, it's a constant seeking of how do I be more like Jesus? Have you always been a Christian? Pretty much. I was seven years old. I was, yeah, Yeah. I grew up in the church. Um, but I will say to you that grew up, um, I mean, such amazing, godly, Bible reading people and parents, but no one ever talked to me a whole lot about breath or the Holy Spirit either. Grew up in a Southern Baptist home and um, reading the scripture, memorizing scripture, you know, that the power was in the word. And I certainly believe that, but it wasn't until yoga, honestly, that I began to learn about the breath that I began to go, hey, wait a minute, like this is the same breath that the Bible speaks of in Genesis chapter two and Ezekiel 37 and Acts chapter two, when the, when the disciples receive, when, when Jesus enters the upper room and he breathes his breath upon them and they receive the Holy spirit. But I didn't figure out those things out till post learning the yoga breath, which when I did my first yoga training in 2000, 
no one said anything about Jesus or the Bible or the Holy Spirit breath or any of these scriptures. It was the breath as it guided movement, the, the yogic breath, the yoga breath, the um, the science of pranayama. And I learned all of that. And to be honest with you, memorized that so I could pass the yoga test so I could be a yoga teacher. And at that time, it was really a physical thing. It was another form of exercise. Um but I did have the foundation of the scripture. It was a good Bible drill girl. Like we went to Bible drill every Sunday afternoon from one to four and we memorized God's word. And, and I don't make fun or poo-poo that. Like praise the Lord that I have those scriptures implanted in my heart. And Miss um, Marge Tucker, like God bless that sweet old Miss Marge. Like she poured the word into to us, us um, young kids. But it wasn't until I started exploring the yoga breath that I started seeing the connection to, wait a minute, pneuma, that's the same word that God is speaking of. It's the same word. Spirit and breath are the same word. And he says in, in uh, I think it's Zechariah, it's not by power nor by might, but by the spirit, by the power of the spirit declares the Lord. So if that word spirit is the same word as breath, it's not by power. It's not by powering up, nor by might, physically forcing myself into this place, but by breath is this is the power, declares the Lord. So for someone who, as you shared earlier, could fall into striving, like do more, go, go, go. How have you found that balance personally? between the rest? Like, when do you work? When do you rest? When do you strive? When do you not? And how do you know? I wish I could tell you a really beautiful story because for me, but I can't. (laughs) For for me, um, I'm a high, high energy person. So when I was describing having Hank, I had a mini me. And, um, And I don't often see the clues or the red flags until I just completely implode, scream at somebody, um, or just honestly begin to get sick. I'll begin to get, you know, I don't know, strep throat, or I, I just begin to get really run down. And I lived that. 2019 for me was was a complete striving, working, doing, growing more. Um, So I opened Abundant Yoga in May of 2016. And so we were coming up on that fourth year. And, you know, from the from the business road, you hear like, if you make it past year three, like you're going to make it. And if you make it into year five, like you're really, you know, so we were heading into that year. And and I was just we had seen numbers double, triple, quadruple, like, I mean, like attendance numbers as well as revenue numbers. And I headed into 2019, um, just working, striving. I didn't know I was doing it. It's not like I had this agenda that said, I'm going to strive, right? I just did it. And I think the breath, if I describe it that way, was starting to get short and choppy and I ignored the signs. And so what I had to do was really pull back and take some time off. It was very humbling. And I had to start looking at 
some real tangible things like, where is your Sabbath? Like a real Sabbath, not half a day, but like, where, where is it? Um, what tools are in place that will hold you accountable to some daily Sabbaths? And I had to get real serious about it. And um, it's interesting to me that all that happened before the the big quarantine, the big COVID, the big pause. But but I learned that I needed um, to be more intentional and more disciplined about having Sabbath. Intentional and disciplined about um, time alone. I I really, really, really am a people pleaser. I learned that my energy changes when somebody walks into the room. I am um, so focused on them and their energy. I'm immediately uh, aware of their energy. I'm immediately um, outside of myself, you know, operating outside of myself. And then in that comes a striving. What do they need? How can I please them? What, how can I help them that I'm an Enneagram too? High, high on the two, right? So how can I help them? How can I help them? Um, and so for that to not be there for me meant I needed alone time. And that was scary because there is a, that had to learn the difference in like my isolating, which isolation is not healthy. Or am I retreating for Sabbath rest and communing with the Holy Spirit, which is where I would do some meditation, some breath, some listening. Um, I learned a lot of really simple tools and I teach with them today. Of um, I can go there very quickly now, but I've been doing this for um, this particular practice probably for about seven or eight years. So that just clues you in. Like I was already doing these practices and I still had this striving breakdown thing happen in 2019. Right. So, so we're not ever immune to it. That's why it's a practice. We pick it back up Fall off the wagon. We pick it back up. But, um, I call it my, my secret place or my place with Jesus. And so I close my eyes and, and I visualize where it's just me and him. And there's lots of different ways to do it. Some people talk about like two chairs, like I'm sitting in this chair and he's sitting in this chair. Or if you love to walk, like you're walking with Jesus. Or if you love to hike, you're hiking with Jesus, like whatever works for you. I love the beach and I love that Adirondack, like kind of lean back chair. And so that's always where we are. And Jesus is sitting there and it has morphed and changed through the years, um, but I close my eyes and I go right there and I just say hi to him. Like I'm talking to a person and I talk and I'm pausing. I'm quiet and I talk and I pause and I'm quiet. And those are places where I take deep breaths as well and, and use the breathing. But I had to have some of that, even if it was five or 10 minutes in my days to, to make me aware of where I was striving because I can just be striving and not even notice my breath. And, and I know some people say, gosh, this is crazy. You've been teaching yoga for 20 years and, and that's still there. Yeah. Cause I'm human, right? I'm human. I, I want to do well, I want people to like me. I want, you know, so I, so we can all fall into striving some more than others, but I have to have that time every day. And I also learned that that could that could be five minutes. Doesn't mean I have to have these like 
our quiet time every morning or I'm a failure. It can be in the car, in my garage. Sometimes, um, you know, I have a big family and a lot going on and a dog barking. Sometimes I sit in the car in the garage for five minutes and close my eyes and go, there you are. And I'll go, okay, hi, Lord, I'm going to walk in now and I'm going to be hit with all this. And I don't know that I say this, but I'm sure that when I walk in the door, my breath goes into my throat, right? It goes into my upper chest. Um, we walk in, our, my dog immediately starts to jump on me. And so there's this, this jumping energy, right? Just, just pausing. And if you, you do it enough that it's so clear to you, it's so clear to me in my mind right now, as I close my eyes, as I'm talking to you, I can, I see Jesus. It's so clear. We have our little place and, and we talk. And sometimes I go there and say, Hey, do you see what's going on? And, and I, I can hear him laugh. Right. But that in itself has been a practice. Like in the beginning, it felt strange and I just kept doing it and kept doing it. And there, I would do it a day or two and I would have to oversleep and not do it. But then I realized like it, it can be all throughout my day. It can be at my kitchen sink and the house is going crazy and I'm trying to cook dinner and I can close my eyes and go, there you are. Okay. This is crazy right now. And sometimes I, I just need him to say, yeah, it is. I see you. I see you. You're doing good. You're doing good. And sometimes I'll talk out loud and um, so my my older daughters know that I'm talking to to Jesus and they'll go, you're talking to your mom? And I'll go, yeah, yeah, I'm talking to him. And I learned. And then a counselor told me, the same counselor that taught me this said, you know, name your place, something tangible. And um, so you can even say that word and you can begin to bring you like visually there. And so I named my place seashell. And then I began to collect seashells and like put them around my house. So I have like a bowl of seashells by the kitchen sink. I have a bowl of seashells by my bathtub. I have a bowl of seashells on my bedside table. So it's a reminder of that place with Jesus that I go to. I've never heard you say this. That is so cool. You know, you'll be going even more vulnerable. Why not? Right. We're doing this. Can yeah. we? So let me just, let me, let me keep going. So in, in the past year, I've done a lot of work around uh, healing that, that wounded little girl. So some trauma, I had a great upbringing. I would have said to you, I don't have trauma. Mm-hmm. We all have trauma. We all have trauma. It could be as simple as in the sixth grade, everyone made fun of me because I had my two front teeth and no other teeth and they look like buck teeth and the whole school called me beaver. That's trauma, right? I mean, that's, that's, it's a little T trauma. I'm not, I'm not trying to say that, that other people haven't had greater trauma. They certainly have, but I began to look and really discern at places where I felt, um, I was wounded for me. Those are places where I felt insecure, unseen, misunderstood. And I uncovered that that was a seven-year-old little girl and a 14-year-old little girl and an 18-year-old little girl. And the Lord and I, for about five years, the spirit, we, we talk about, is that it? Like there's a lot of life. I'm 47 from 18 to 47. Surely there's some hurt. And I think that there is, but I found that those were like the three key ages. And in that sabbatical time of 2019, when I was 
was burned out and trying to figure out like, how do I re-enter the work world and re-enter the teaching space and not do this again? Mm-hmm. I figured out that men I'm striving. A lot of times I'm operating as that seven-year-old that says, do you see me? Am I good enough? Like, am mm-hmm. I, am I, am I achieving enough? And I spent a lot of time in meditation and I began to see that seven-year-old little girl right there in that space with me and Jesus. And so it's like, we're sitting at these chairs and we're talking, communicating and breathing, you know, whatever. And I began to see her like a hundred feet away from me. And she's doing exactly what I would do as a seven-year-old. Like I had these little purple overalls. If anyone's my age, we, we had these hair barrettes and they were braided. And so I have the hair, the braided hair barrettes with the strings. I have the purple jumpsuit on and I'm just doing cartwheels and doing forward rolls and doing flips. And, and, and in that, even in that, like I was performing, like, do you see, mm. am I good? Am I, am I good enough? Is this pretty? Do you see me? And, and I could keep going, but I'll just say, I began to see her. I began to see that 14 year old girl. And I begin to see that 18 year girl and I can vividly see all three of those versions or those Kalias in this space. And they don't, they don't come and enter in like where I'm talking with Jesus. It's like they're in like my peripheral. Hmm. But what I have recently been working on is getting up out of my chair. And I've heard him say, you can go over and talk to her. And so I've just, and, and I'm saying this is like new stuff, Kimberly. Like I've just been doing this for a couple months. I've been walking over to the seven-year-old as adult me like this and saying, hey, how are you? And she usually says, it's just so me. This is what I would say. Do you want to see my cartwheel? Do you want to see my cartwheel? Are my toes pointed? And so what I've been saying is, yeah, I want to see your cartwheel. She shows me and then I always go. Wow, it's so good. And it's really so simple, but what I feel like I'm giving her is a voice. Mm-hmm. Because I truly, when I begin to consider where my breath gets trapped, it always feels like it gets trapped in my throat. And I begin to identify that that seven year little girl felt like she didn't have a voice. And so I begin to talk to her and then I begin to intentionally like put my hand here and take a deep breath and then go back to Jesus and sit down. And some like it really hasn't been profound. It's not like he said, good for you or way to go or you healed that thing or it hasn't been like that. It's just been like there's an invitation and there is an opportunity for you to go talk to her, Hmm. work all this stuff out and notice your breath. Notice how she's reacting. Notice her breath. Notice how she, you know, how she's reacting. What is her deepest need? What is your need today? And, you know, some people call that, you know, tending to their little girl or healing that wounded space. Um, But it's been so powerful. Has it been healing? Yes. Yes. So much so. So much so. Her breath is usually really, really excited and just, and, but you can feel she's striving. 
She's striving to be good enough. She's striving for you to notice her. It's she's striving for you to hear her. She's she wants to hear that she's good enough that she can do it. And so what I've been doing as the adult version of her is saying to her, that's great. You're really good at that. So it's just that affirming voice. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. notice even the way I said that, like my breath isn't trapped. It's deep. My tone of my voice is calm. But this whole practice of going here with Jesus started for me probably about eight or 10 years ago. Did I still have like a major messy um, breakdown? Yeah. Would I, do I still strive? Yeah. As recent as just six months ago, I was striving. Mm-hmm. But it's a that's why it's a practice. Mm-hmm. It's a practice. Mm-hmm. We call the yoga breath the practice, but but all of this is a practice. The breath is just a piece of it. And taking that intentional time, mm-hmm. you know, you had said even when we began began the yoga teacher training, we started every three day weekend with the thirty minutes of meditation. Mm-hmm which on Saturday and Sunday was 7 a.m. In the middle of winter, it was dark. <laughs> and you, Nothing like the challenge, right, Kimberly? Let's no. challenge it on all fronts. Oh, my gosh. And I'm like, I could be sleeping those extra 30 minutes. But you said from the beginning, you will grow to love this. In 30 minutes, like the first several times doing it, It's like, oh my gosh, what in the world am I going to think about for 30 minutes, which is totally not how we're supposed to prepare for it. (laughs) But I, I remember one of those times there was such a vivid, so first of all, the space was made available, but there was such a vivid vision of me dancing with Jesus and what was hard and it makes me, I start getting emotional even just thinking about it, was at first I did not know how to look him in the eye. Yeah. You know, it's like, and it was like, even when I was like, okay, I think I'm ready. I was like, but what is it? What is he going to look like? Like, can I hold the gaze? Right. Isn't that, but then it was just so real. Right. And then when, and then you were like, 30 minutes is up. And I was like, what? <laughs> no, it can't be. And just like, then there was a yearning to go back to that. Absolutely. So, so I couldn't hold the gaze. When I found Jesus, I had to look away. That's, I hear that all the time, Kimberly, all the time. I have people say that to me and I was the same way. And someone said to me, explore why. Hmm. Do you feel unworthy? Do you feel shame? Like explore why you can't hold the gaze. He is your savior. He is your Messiah. Mm -hmm. He's the lover of your soul. It says in Song of Songs, he is your beloved. You are his beloved. It is his desire to be with you. The word be doesn't insinuate that he expects anything from you. He doesn't even need you to speak. Mm-hmm. So exploring why. Um, 
just know that I hear that all the time. I've had women come. I used to do retreats. And so we would do more meditation than we do in the studio in the retreat space. And would have women say like, I did it. I did what you said. And I was sitting there with him and I, I kept having to look away. I kept mm-hmm. having to look away. And so for me, that's an indicator of um, feeling unworthy. It's a worthiness issue. And that's okay. We just know, you know, shame in that, just knowing that and then exploring like what makes you worthy of holding that gaze. None of us are worthy of holding that gaze. He is worthy. He is righteous. But I want to fall so in love with him and adore him so much that I lean in and long for the gaze. And I didn't have that in the beginning either. I had to be, I had to, to work at it. Um, and through the years of going there, when I say it, it's looked different at different times, there was a time and a space where I was riding a white horse. Okay. So I've ridden a horse maybe twice in my life at like, like some organized event. I have fear. I don't know how to ride a horse. So every day I would go there, Jesus would be like, let's ride this horse. And I was like, what is happening? <laughs> I don't even know. So I've just tried to go with it. And so the encouragement I have for folks is like, when you go there and you feel like you can't hold the gaze, ask why, what's that about? Explore that, but just keep going. Eventually, like you said, you long for it. You want more of it. Mm-hmm. And 30 minutes goes by so fast, but be, be gentle with yourself. Someone told me along the way, like start with five minutes, set the timer on your phone for five minutes. And suddenly five minutes feels like five seconds. And then you want more of it. And you want more of it because it's not really like the meditation itself. You want more of you want the communion and the connection with the spirit. And it's interesting to me that the same word for spirit in the word is breath. And it puts such a purpose to it because I hadn't thought of that until you started mentioning this. I had, I loved it and I longed for it and I yearned for it, but I probably haven't done that in like a year mm-hmm. until I just remembered. But a couple of months ago, I started trying to get back into meditation, taking five minutes a day. But now that I remember this, I'm like, oh, like I long for that. It was hard for me to just get to, to sit there and breathe. Mm-hmm. It just really is. But when there's this purpose to it that has like such a deeper meaning for us using that time to really connect with Jesus, to see Jesus. He I think created I us for more. He created us to always be wanting more. He says, Satan comes to kill, kill, and destroy, but I, Jesus said, come so that you might have life and have it what? Abundantly. Have it to more. That indicates to me that there's always more of him. Mm-hmm. My human flesh is limited, but the spirit like the, the way we have him in this current moment, like the world, the Lord became flesh and came and dwelt among us. Yes. And then he ascended into heaven. He said, I'm going to leave a deposit of myself, which is the Holy Spirit. And that is what you have. That is the gift. That is the gift. Right. And it is. Think of what, like a spirit. It's never ending. It's abundant. There's always more. So the more you go back, there's going to be more. Mm-hmm. I you, I'm willing to guarantee Everything I have can really, if you made it a practice of five minutes every morning, soon you'd be dancing again and he would dip you and then he'd 
twirl you. And then you would do one of those, like, what what was it um, the, in the movie Dirty Dancing where, like, the, yes. <laughs> and before you know it, you would, it, it would become such a fun place. Lately, right now with me, like, Jesus has been cooking me breakfast. And that, has been, and that I've been there for honestly about two years. And what's so funny about that is like, if I could pick one meal a day to eat, it would be breakfast. I love breakfast, but I don't like to cook breakfast. So vacation time and all of that for me is super fun when I go somewhere where like they cook me a, like a brunch, a big brunch would be. And so I've, I've come in there's like, it's silly. There's, it's so silly, but there's the thing, like some, some people, not all people, but is that really Jesus? Yes, it really can be. He's cooking some bacon up on this little mini grill at the beach. And I just come up and he's like, join me for breakfast every morning. And I get my coffee and I actually physically really have the coffee. But I feel like he's saying, like, I know you love this. Let's do this together. And some mornings this morning, I had five minutes because I overslept. But he's never sitting there shaming you. He's never saying, you got here a little late today, Kimberly. Yeah. He never is doing that. He's God is not a man that he should lie, nor is the son of man that he changes his mind. He just doesn't react like man would, right? Mm-hmm. You have to take that off of him. He's never sitting there going, Kimberly, I haven't seen you in three days. No, when you walk in or ride in or dance in, he's like, oh, I've got a new step to teach you, Kimberly. I can't wait. Can you step two places to the right? And I'm going to dip you. It's this glorious, like divine space of like so much more than we can ever ask or think or imagine Ephesians 3, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It is. It is. I have to, again, like even just hearing you're, you always are so good at taking it matching it to scripture, like going deep. I can't tell you how many times I've cried on my yoga mat with you (laughs) (laughs) in a good way. Right. Like, Right. right. And it never, for so many people, you know, and we talked about this in teacher training, like it's foreign to them to do yoga and be a Christian. Right. But I have probably had more intimate experiences with Jesus in the middle of my yoga mat than I have in a church. Me definitely, Kimberly, definitely. Because as you said, like there's that, the practice goes together, like the movement and the breath. Mm-hmm. And then you're, you're like living out, you're moving out your faith and working it out. And you're in the pose and And then your teacher, which for me is Kalia, is talking about striving and how we should, you know, there's no need to strive, to cease striving. And you're in the middle of trying to strive and you're like, I don't have to do this. I don't have to strive. Like Jesus loves me as I am if I never do the handstand. Right. Right. It's never about the handstand. It's never about, and it it goes, ties back to, it's never about destination. It's about the journey. And so our yoga practice is this journey on our mat of learning more about ourselves and more about our relationship with God. It's a worship experience, yes, but it's a journey to for me to look and ask the questions, where am I striving? 
Am I breathing? Am I forcing myself up into this handstand? And who cares? Right. What am I? Why am I doing this? So, you know, I say it's not about the yoga. Certainly it is about yoga. It is a yoga practice, but it's not about the yoga. That's not the destination. It's about the journey as you're doing the yoga. You know, in him, we live and breathe and move and have our being. So, you know, it's it's about that. And everyone says that what the other statement that you made can really have heard it a million times. Like I came to your class and. I didn't know I was going to cry. Like, what is happening? And then there are some people that are like, I can't even do this. Like, I don't even know what's happening. It blows their minds. Like, I'm crying, yet I'm doing a handstand. The Holy Spirit's talking. I I need a Kleenex. Like, I don't even know what this is. I get that all the time. Like, I have no idea what this is. And it's so hard to explain for people if yeah. you're only looking at it in the context of yoga that they see on YouTube, right? It's really a, an experience. Mm-hmm. You have to come experience it. So you do. And people can with you. <laughs> yeah. Can you tell us more about the fun changes, exciting changes happening with abundant yoga and how our listeners can do yoga with you? I want everyone to, by the way. Everyone. You're so kind. Thank you. You're so kind. So we we have a physical yoga studio in um Cool Springs. We're right at the juncture of Brentwood and Franklin. Um, Many people know the new Urban Market restaurant. And then there's the Sopapillas restaurant on the corner. We're right behind them. So where Moore's Lane meets Franklin Road, we have a physical studio and we are still open. We're social distancing. We're asking folks, wear your mask in, wear your mask out, but you can take the mask off when we do class so that you don't you know, breathe your carbon dioxide. Um, But we have that. And then this season of quarantine forced us out, you know, thrust thrust us out into the online space, which we had never done. But suddenly we took in 48 hours, we took a full schedule of yoga classes and put them on Zoom. And what we found within three weeks, we had people all over the world. We have someone in Tokyo, who bought a, a, a package. We had someone in Canada. We had someone up in Baltimore, you know, and suddenly we realized like, wow, there are people in other places that this, this is not available to them. So we began to build an online site. And so we don't have a definitive date yet, but um, the goal is around Labor Day. We are going to launch abundant yoga on demand. So there'll be pre-recorded classes. And then along with that, there'll also be some live stream classes. If you like to feel like you're doing it with community, but you could do it in your living room and you could, you know, see the community um, as well. That online membership was going to just be a, a monthly membership. And then we're also launching our teacher training that usually starts in September uh, fully online. And we've never done that. And we're doing a seven week full online training. Um, the physical postures are going to be taught via Zoom. And uh, but it's going to be mostly self-paced for people who have children and jobs and, and uh, but want to do this. So maybe someone in Tokyo wants to, to teach Christian yoga in Tokyo. Um, so that's going to be on the site as well. So you can find us at AbundantYoga.com. And yes, and you should. And I just want to say it is good yoga. Like it's amazing yoga. So it's not because I've done it before where it's the Christian yoga, but it's super fluffy. (laughs) 
and just kind of cheesy. This is totally not like you have taught amazing teachers. Thank you. you of course are anointed in what you do. You're an amazing teacher. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've taught great teachers in every class, whether you do the gentle or the power or the still is going to be really good. Oh, yoga. Thank and it's you. Always gonna come with, with a word. I will say about handstands. <laughs> I love handstands. I love trying to do handstands. Um, I don't know if you remember this or not, but in the yoga teacher training, in the postures weekend, I did, I was the one who like did the handstand as you were demoing that one. Um, but I always, I've, I just want to be able to like press up into it, right? And have it happen so beautifully right. and be able to hold it for, for just like 10 seconds. And one of the things you told me that weekend was, you don't have, it's not an ability issue with you. It's a fear issue. Mm-hmm. And for the longest time, I was like, I'm not scared to be in a handstand. <laughs> for eight years, I have been working on a handstand. And it was not until three days ago, Kalia, Woo! that I finally understood what you meant. I was able to hold my free standing handstand for five seconds. And I finally felt what it felt like to have my feet over my hands. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that's what she means. Like it, I'm not having to like hold it as much and it's not as hard. Like it feels more weightless and I understand what she means, but it was scary to put my feet that far. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That was the fear. And if, if you allow me to speak into that, Kimberly, that, that when you found that place, you were no longer striving. I wasn't striving. I wasn't striving and I totally, and then I was like, it's in the hands. Like mm-hmm. at this point, it's how I do my hands. And there was not the striving. Right. It was the lack of fear, mm-hmm. no longer striving and realizing where the weight had changed. That was it. That was right. It. Yes. <laughs> and I say it's the beautiful metaphor of life. Like we get glimpses of it. Some people use the language, get glimpses of heaven here on earth. We get glimpses of, I'm not striving. I'm being, and I'm taking a deep breath and I'm hitting the posture, but it's not even about the posture right now. Right. And, um, and we, we get these little gifts, like you said, for five seconds, we get these little five second gifts. And for me, those, those are found oftentimes on my yoga mat more than in my life. But then I look at it and go, wait, this is a metaphor. Yep. It looks exactly like my marriage right now. Or, wow, this looks exactly like me trying to parent this 19-year-old. Or, wow, this looks exactly like me operating in this mindset of unworthiness when I know the language and the, the scripture that says I am worthy, but I'm still striving. And for just five seconds, I float into it and go, ah! I suddenly feel it. I feel it. I had to share. It's like if the first person I thought was, I have to tell Kalia that I finally get what she means a year and a half later. So good. Um, I love it. Kalia, thank you so much. It was January 28th, 2017, when I found myself in a 5 a.m. yoga class at a studio called Abundant Yoga with a teacher named Kalia Anderson. And I was struggling so much that morning. I had been for weeks, if not months. 
I was overwhelmed by work, so overwhelmed I wasn't sleeping. I was an insomniac. I wasn't eating. I was physically ill because of how stressed and anxious I was. And the very next day, which would be January 29th, 2017, my husband and I were about to begin a fast, a month of fasting and prayer with the church we were going to at the time. So on January 28th, I found myself in this yoga class looking for change and trying to understand what was next for me in that season of life. And I I was growing in my faith. I was growing in my relationship with God, but there was still so much I didn't know. And I will never forget being in triangle pose and hearing Kalia, my yoga teacher, just speak this scripture that I didn't even know was in the Bible. And she said, God is not a man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? And just like that, all of the expectation that I had put on myself, all of the striving, all of the ceasing, all of the work that I was doing that was burning me out, that was taking away my breath, that was doing all of these things began to be put in its rightful place. And I began to realize my purpose was to simply do what God had said for me to do and to trust Him to do it. Now, the date is extremely extremely important here because that very following day, I had no idea that I would enter into that time of fasting and prayer with my husband for a month. And in that month, God would tell us to start our adoption process. And that scripture that Kalia had said was one that stayed in my mind and was my guiding verse throughout our whole adoption process because God put it so much on our hearts and souls to adopt our two little ones before we ever saw their faces, before we ever knew their names. I would dream about an older girl and a younger boy, and I believed that God had said it and He would do it, but I had so much doubt. And I kept going to Kalia's yoga classes for those two years of the whole process. We got matched with our children And our son was born January 29th, 2017, the same day my husband and I began our fasting and prayer. So I believe that God speaks things, that God gives purpose and promise to our lives, and that He works to do it. And what's even more amazing is I never told Kalia that story. And my husband and I were just about to leave to go to India. And it was exactly two years after the first day that I went into that yoga class on January 28th, 2017. And Kalia spoke that scripture specifically over me again. A whole two years to the day she had no idea and God had done it. The fulfillment of the scripture, the fulfillment of the promise had happened. Friends, I don't know what you believe, 
but I have to share with you the amazing things that God has done in my life to give you hope, to give you encouragement, and to show you that God loves us so much. He is involved in the intricate, intimate details of all of the things of our lives, even when we can't see it. Now to go to the key pies takeaways that I had from our episode today with Kalia Anderson. Here is the key pies takeaway number one. Our breath is connected to our life. When we are struggling to breathe, then we are struggling to get through life. A lack of breath or loss of breath or being when it is hard to breathe, that means that we are striving too much or we're in a situation where we're overwhelmed. It is a way our body is telling us, you're doing too much, you need to rest. Because breath is related to life. Our breath gives us life. Physiologically, it gives our bodies what it needs to run and support. There's a reason you can go a day or two without water, several days without food, but you can't go more than a couple of minutes without breath. But how often do we overwhelm our bodies to where our breath gets short and we're not giving our bodies the life supply that it needs? So to counter this, I encourage you to be focusing on breathing, deep breathing. Take notice throughout your day of how you are breathing. I know it sounds crazy, but it has been one of the most helpful things to me over the past several months. I check in with my breath multiple times a day, and I'm able to be aware of how I feel In the moment, I'm able to ward off any future anxiety attacks. I notice the more I'm focusing on my breath and breathing deeply and slowing down and connecting with myself, the better able I am to handle the stress and chaos that life throws out me on a daily basis. The second key pies takeaway is make sure that you're giving yourself soul care. Burnout is real. And when you go and go and go and you become disconnected from your breath, from your source of life, from the things that give you rest and rejuvenation, then it is very likely that you are going to burn out where you will hit a wall. You will lose your motivation. You will be too overwhelmed to continue on, or you may even begin to get physically ill. Burnout is real. How are you giving yourself care? How are you filling yourself up? And the third takeaway I have for you is to be intentional about making meditation a daily practice. Taking that time to take five minutes, 10 minutes to sit, focus on your breath, focus on a thought, focus on some of the things that Kalia had talked about can really help you to stay grounded to stay focused, and to give yourself some soul care. Remember that our life is connected to our breath. Our breath is important. It gives us life. Remember to breathe. Remember, if you want to know more about Abundant Yoga, then follow them on Instagram. That is Abundant, A-B-U-N-D-A-N-T, Y-O-G-A 
all one word. You can also go to their website at AbundantYoga.com. I would highly recommend that once their online membership comes on where you're able to watch the classes and all of those things to do it. Not only is it freaking good yoga, but it is an amazing experience. Unlike any other yoga studio or practice I have ever been to, I highly, highly recommend it from the bottom of my heart. Hey, my name is Kimberly Beam Holmes, and this is It Starts With Attraction, where we discuss how to become the most attractive that you can be physically, intellectually, emotionally, and spiritually, or as us insiders call it, the pies. You can become more attractive to others and most importantly, to yourself. We will teach you how. Let's dive in.